Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, in his laws and decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. So let me pray as we come to God's word this morning that he would open our hearts and minds to receive uh, from him, um, not just my words, but uh, the words of the Holy Spirit as we come to, to the words inspired by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So pray with me. Mm, so Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the wealth that we have in you. Um, we thank you for the, the physical and literal money and possessions that we have from you. And so I pray this morning that as we look to your word to to discover and rediscover and explore what it means to be faithful to you with our money and possessions, that, that you would uh, break off bondage, that you would set us free from slavery in the area of finances and, and wealth and possessions and money. Father, and I pray that you would give us new life to be uh, faithful to you, to honor you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week is the second week of our series, Faithful, uh, that we're exploring the question, what does it mean to be faithful stewards of the resources God has given us? Uh, and so we're, we're spending four weeks on this question, what does it mean to be faithful stewards? That means people who take care of the resources that God has given us. And so we began last week with the truth that is uh, encompassed in Psalm 24, uh, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so the truth we began with last week is that everything in the earth belongs to God. Everyone on the earth belongs to God. So that all that I am and all that I have belongs to God. And so this is where we begin our understanding of what it means to be faithful. Not with the question, how much of what I have do I have to give to be faithful and then I use the rest for me. We begin with this truth, this understanding that everything is God's. And so it's not just about giving some to God. It's about being faithful to God with all of it. And so this week we, we press on and, and over the next three weeks, including today, we're, we're going to explore three specific areas. Today we're talking about money and possessions. Next week we're going to talk about time and energy. And the week after that we're going to talk about our, our gifts and abilities. But So this week we're going to sp explore specifically the question, what does it mean to be faithful stewards of the money and possessions God has entrusted to us? So we're focusing in on our wealth, our money and possessions this morning. And so the Bible says a lot about money and possessions. 
The Bible says a lot about our attitude towards them. The Bible says a lot about how we should respond to wealth, how we should respond to lack, uh, how we should respond to God in those ideas. And so this morning, there's a whole bunch of Bible verses I'm going to throw at you. And I just want to say that because we're just scratching the surface of what the Bible has to say about money. Because the Bible has a whole lot to say about money and possessions. And it's because of this truth that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, 24. Sorry. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the Bible talks a lot about money and possessions because of this truth. We cannot serve both God and money. Our allegiance, our priority has to be on one or the other. Otherwise, we will hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. In other different words, the Apostle Paul, in writing to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, Timothy, said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so the Bible says a lot about money and possessions because God wants to guard us from this fate from being eager for money and wandering from faith and being pierced with much grief because we're hungry for money. The the great evangelist Billy Graham had this to say about money. Uh, He's quoted in lots of different places, this quote, and so I tried to narrow it down where it it came from and, and so many people quote him as saying this. I believe that he did, but I don't know when or where he said it. But he said, If a person gets their attitude towards money straight it will help them straighten out almost every other area of their life. So who wants every area of their life to be straightened out? So Billy Graham suggests we'll start with money because it's the biggest challenge. If you knock over the biggest giant in your life, then everything else is just going to tumble along with it. So if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help them straighten out almost every area of their life. Tell me what you think about money, and I can tell you what you think about God, for these are closely related. Man's heart is closer to his wallet than almost anything else. And so our money and possessions pose a great challenge in our faithfulness to God. But the exciting thing is what Billy Graham says. If we can face this challenge, if we can be faithful to God with money and possessions, then everything else becomes somewhat easier for most people. And so money and possessions isn't something that, oh, we shouldn't be talking about that in the church because the Bible talks about it constantly. It's almost the, the, the topic that Jesus himself talks about more than anything else, almost. And so it's something that we need to tackle in our lives. It's something that we need to tackle in the life of the church because it's the greatest risk of pulling us away from God. Money will compete to be our master. Possessions will compete to be our master if we're not diligent with being faithful to the Lord with it. And so we begin our understanding of what it means to be faithful with money and possessions in the same space that we began last week. If everything we have and everything that we are belongs to God, then this statement is true. All of our money and possessions belong to God. I just want to let that sink in for a moment. All of your money and all of your possessions belong to God. This is just simply applying that truth from Psalm 24 verse 1 to our money and possessions. Everything in the earth includes your bank balance, your wallet and your home. It all belongs to the Lord. And money and possessions is, is, I think... Part of the reason it's the biggest challenge in in terms of faithfulness is because it's easy for us to think, well, but I worked for it. I did my 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. Uh, I confess this week feels like an 80-hour week for me. And, And so on those weeks, it's tempting to think, I earned this. It's mine. I can reluctantly give God some of it. Mm. 
but the rest is mine and with that I shall party. <laughs> it's tempting to be in that headspace of going, well, but I worked for it. And, and this is what God warned his people about in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, when he was talking about them shifting from the wilderness where, where bread fell from the sky and they just had to pick it up and eat it. And where birds just came and collapsed in their camp and they could just eat them. And he's saying, you're going to be in the promised land, in this rich land, and you're going to be sowing and harvesting. You're going to be reaping from the land. And you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and the work of my hands have produced this wealth for me, so it's mine. God said, you may say this when you're in the promised land and the bread's no longer just falling from the sky. You might fall into the belief that you actually earn this in your own power. But God, in the very next verse, says to them, but remember. So if we're in that headspace, that that my bank balance, the, the, the money in my wallet, my home, it's mine, I worked hard for it, I earned it. If we're in that headspace, God says to us this morning, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And so when we're in that mindset of I've worked hard and this week I've worked even harder. And so, so that's mine. We need to remember that it's God who has given us the ability to work, to work hard, to produce wealth. And so everything belongs to him. The next two verses that Lauren read this morning and the parable of the talents that we spoke about last week remind us that just as God has the ability to give us the power to produce wealth, he has the ability to take that away as well. Those who aren't faithful with what God's provided can have it taken away. And so we begin with this truth that all our of our money and all of our possessions belong to God they aren't ours to do with as we please that we we give our little bit and the rest of ours all of our money and possessions belong to God and so if they belong to God it's our responsibility to honor the Lord with our money and possessions if I borrow Abraham's car It's his car. So if he lends it to me, it's not mine to do with whatever I want. It's not mine to go, well, Abraham's given me his car so I can, you know, and churn up the tires and and smash it into things and, and then give it back to him and go, well, you know, there's your car, Abraham. It's his car. And so it's on me. It's my responsibility to honor the Abraham with the car. If our money and possessions belong to God, it's, it's our responsibility to honor the Lord with our money and possessions. This is what uh, the wisdom of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. What I want to say to us this morning is don't skip too quickly to the second line of those verses. See, honouring the Lord with your wealth does involve, as we'll talk about in a little while, it does involve giving of the first fruits, giving first to the Lord. But that's not the entirety of what it means to honour the Lord with your wealth. That word wealth there just simply means money and possessions. See, the, the biggest myth, the biggest A lie that we believe about stewarding our money and possessions is that it starts and ends with putting something in the offering. It starts and ends with giving a bit of it away. That is part of what it means to be faithful, but that isn't the end, and it's not actually the beginning. Something comes before that, which we'll talk about in a moment. But but what I want us to capture this morning is that it's our responsibility to honor the Lord with our money and possessions because they belong to the Lord. We're called to honor the Lord in the way that we earn. We're called to honor the Lord in the way that we give. We're called to honor the Lord in the way that we save. We're called to honor the Lord in the way that we own. And we're called to honor the Lord in the way that we spend. 
We're called to honour the Lord in our earning, giving, saving, owning and spending in everything that has anything to do with our money and possessions. And so if it belongs to the Lord, if we honour the Lord with it, then it means that we adopt a whole different set of priorities around our earning, our giving, our saving, our owning and our spending. We, we reorient the order of those priorities, but we also transform what each of those things mean. What I mean by that is this, that, that this is, in, in essence, my assessment, and, and I have to acknowledge that I've, I've borrowed and gleaned from a lot of different people uh, for this morning's message to put it together, um, and my friend Mark Chappell is one of those, and so I've adapted this from his list of what he sees as the cultural priorities of the world. Um, I've added some stuff to it, but... The, the bones of it came from Mark. But the cultural priorities of the world begin, and this is in a hierarchical order, they begin with spending on lifestyle. It begins with, I want to have fun, I want to have a great life, and so my first priority when it comes to money and, and possessions is my lifestyle, my leisure. And the second priority then, though, is earning with greed. And I say earning with greed because it's not just about earning, it's about earning as much as we can to feed what is above, spending on lifestyle. So we have the cultural priorities of the world, beginning with spending on lifestyle, lifestyle comes first, earning as much as we can to feed that, and then we want to own a whole bunch of stuff so we accumulate debt so that we can own more and more and more. And then the world will save if there's anything left. So if there's anything left after we've living the lifestyle we want, we're earning as much money as we can, we've accumulated debt and we're trying to service that as best as we can, if there's anything left, we'll save something. And then the final priority of the, the, the world is giving if emotionally motivated. Australians like to talk about how generous we are and we are very generous when there's a great need like a drought or a fire, there's, a, there's an appeal and we're emotionally motivated, we'll, we'll give a whole lot. But we're one of the poorest countries in the world in just faithful, regular giving. Out of principle rather than out of emotional motivation. I'm not saying giving out of emotional motivation is bad, it's just that it sits down fairly low in the cultural priorities of the world. And so if we want to honour God with our money and possessions, if we want to honour the Lord with our wealth, we pretty well need to turn that upside down, but we need to reorient the meaning of each of those things. And so here's what I want to suggest are the kingdom priorities of the world. And we're going to break these down and what it looks like in practice in a moment. But I believe the kingdom priorities, God's priorities for the people who are His kingdom is that we begin with earning with integrity and contentment. That we give sacrificially, that we save wisely, that we own as trustees and that we spend simply. That rather than, just to get a sense of the order, rather than spending on our lifestyle and leisure coming first, it's actually the last priority in the kingdom. Earning, giving, saving, owning and spending are all things that were called by the Bible, by God Himself, to honour the Lord with. And so we begin with honouring the Lord in the way that we earn. Being faithful with money and possessions begins here. We're called to earn with integrity. The, the Proverbs speak of, of, of this over and over again in different places, but just to pluck a couple of things out, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8 says, Better a little, and that's speaking of, of owning and possessions, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. It's better to have not much, but have it with integrity and righteousness than to have lots and, and gain that unjustly. It says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is fle a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. It's better to not get a big tax return because you tell the truth than to tell a few little porkies so that you get a bit more back. 
And so the scriptures say that, that for, for followers of Jesus, for people who want to honor the Lord with their finances, that it begins with earning it in a way that, that is integrous, that is honoring of God. And so if you're earning your finances in a way that is abusive to another, is extorting another, is, is placing someone else in slavery, or if you're earning your finances in a way that is deceitful or dishonest, then as a follower of Jesus, it's our responsibility to either be an agent of change in that industry or to get out of it. As simple as that. If the way that you earn your money is unjust to another human being or is dishonest, our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to seek to actively transform that industry or refuse to be a part of it. Our honouring the law with our finances doesn't begin with what we do with it, it begins with how we get it. And so we earn with integrity, but we're also called to earn with contentment. So we don't earn with greed, we don't earn with a desire just to have more and more and more. We earn with contentment. In Ecclesiastes 5, chapter 10, sorry, chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Who's ever kind of got a pay rise and, you know, oh, now my financial situation is sorted. I'm always going to have enough. And then, like, two weeks later, like, how do I not have, like, heaps more money now? Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, this pursuit of money for purpose. And so as followers of Jesus, as, as, as God's people, we're called to earn with contentment, to not be driven just to have more and more and more for the sake of having more. We're called to earn with integrity. We're called to earn with contentment. And so the question is, is how much should I earn? How much should I earn as a follower of Jesus? I remember seeing a conversation or reading about a conversation in an article where, where a person was, was saying, it was an American thing, but, but they're saying, oh, well, over $100,000 is too much for a, for a follower of Jesus to earn. That's not, that's not right. And they were, they were setting figures that was okay for a follower of Jesus to have in this kind of concept of this this needing to be a pauper, to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to say this morning, that's absolute garbage. How much should you earn? Well, I believe God's desire for you is to earn as much as you can, as long as it's integrous, as, it, as long as it's not dishonest, as long as it's not uh, disadvantaging another person, and as long as it's not motivated by a desire to simply have more. In the parable of the talents... In Proverbs 3, chapter 9, in Malachi 3.10, sorry, I keep making that mistake, calling the verse the chapter. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the scripture speaks about those who are faithful with what they have will be given more. Because faithfulness looks like using it for God's purposes, and what king doesn't want to advance his kingdom through those who are being faithful to it? And so as Christians, we shouldn't limit ourselves to some cap of earning that's okay for us. We should have a desire to grow our money and possessions as long as it's earned in integrity and not driven by greed. So we honor the Lord in the way that we earn. And we honor the Lord in the way that we give. And so giving is not the entirety of what it means to be faithful, but, but it is the key priority after how we earn it. The key priority for a follower of Jesus is giving. It's the first priority after we've earned our money. And that giving is sacrificial. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which I just mentioned, says, bring the whole tithe, which is an Old Testament word for a particular type of offering, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. In a New Testament context, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the, the love 
sorry, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The church is called to excel in the grace of giving. Uh, a few, in the next chapter, the Apostle Paul says to that same church in Corinth, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so for the follower of Jesus, giving is something that should be a joy something that should be our first priority. It's in fact something that should motivate, not greed for ourselves, but something that should motivate us desiring to earn more is that we should be able to then give more. The Bible speaks over and over again about this idea of sacrificial giving. Giving is an act of worship. It's a way in which we worship God by sacrificing some of our own material means to give to His purposes in this world. Giving, it is a, an act of trust. It's saying, I trust that God will provide for me without me needing to hoard everything I have. But here's the key thing. Giving is an antidote to greed and the desire to hoard. that faithful decision to give and give and give financially to God's kingdom purposes is an antidote to greed. It's an antidote to the desire just to collect more and more and more. It's a statement to ourselves that God's kingdom, God's church not saying those two are exactly the same thing, but God's purposes are the, the, the single most important investment I can make in my life. It's more important than anything else. And the promise of Scripture is that we, we reap blessing when we're faithful to giving. And so the question is, well then how much should I give? We, in this, we consider all things to be God's, all our money and possessions to be God's, but but how much should we give? And so the scripture has this kind of principle of of ten percent. It was it was something that uh, came in before the the law that that Abraham gave a tenth of all his spoils in war to the high priest Melchizedek. Which, if you've never heard of that story, I'm not going to go down that rabbit warren this morning. But that's where that thought first came in. And in the Old Testament law, that the tithe was a ten percent tithe. Um, And so I want to say that we're not legally bound to 10%, but under the New Testament we're called to excel in the grace of giving, and so grace goes beyond the law. And so just, and I'm going to give a bit of a breakdown, and and, and I disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, but this is just what I believe is, is principles, and I want to give you some tangible, I guess, targets with your finances. You can take it or leave it. But, but So the idea of the, the Scripture is that, that we should aim for, for giving 10%. And for some of us, that will seem impossible. That that's far beyond, we kind of can, you might be doing the mental sums this morning, going, 10%, oh my goodness. And so what I want to suggest at a, at a more fundamental level than aiming for 10%, and that 10% will make more sense as we work through the rest of it. But, but if you're not giving, is to simply make a decision this morning that you will start giving something. It says, uh, Paul says to the church, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And so this morning, I encourage you, if you're not giving anything, to make a decision, pray about it even now, and just go, what? What would you lead me to begin with, Lord? If it's $5 a week, if it's, if it's 50 cents a week, if it's $100 a week, just, just make a decision this morning that you'll begin there. If you are giving but it's sporadic, then I encourage you to, to make a decision to make that a regular thing. If you, if you are giving but it's less than 10%, I, I encourage you to pray this morning about, uh, to God to give you the grace to grow that towards 10%. But if you're giving 10%, 
I don't want you to think that God's not calling you to excel in the grace of giving either, that, that you would pray and, and ask God for the means and the grace to give beyond that. I want to give you a 10% just to give you a sense of, of shaping your finances around some key figures, but I don't want us to get hung up on the 10%. The, the, the scripture points us towards giving. And so what I want you to take home this morning is to decide to start somewhere or move towards somewhere in your giving. Be active in it. Be intentional about it. So we honour the Lord in our earning, we honour the Lord in our giving, and we also honour the Lord in our saving. We honour the Lord in the way that we save. In Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 21, verse 10 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp, down, gulp theirs down. I've seen this verse translated a, a bunch of different ways in uh, different um, translations, and... and um, yeah, one translation for that second line says, but fools consume everything they have. And so there's this idea of biblical wisdom that says, encourages us to store up some reserve, to not just simply consume what comes in as it comes in. And as I think about saving, I'm, I'm reminded of the biblical story of, of Joseph in Egypt. And it's, it's a longer story, and I'm not going to read it all, and I'm not going to put it all up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 41, we're, we're told this story where Pharaoh had a dream, and in, no one could interpret it. And eventually they called for Joseph, uh, and Joseph was able to interpret it. But um, what I want us to see this morning is that this is a story of saving, essentially. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, because he's interpreted his dream and, and said, well, there's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of lack, and so what you should do is store up that grain, that overflow of grain in the seven years of plenty so that you've got some for the seven years of lack. And, and Pharaoh says, well, you're the man to do it. And so Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he... Pardon me, that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. And I'm just going to jump down uh, to verse 53. It says, The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out for Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. And so this is a story of saving, of setting aside so that for the future, when, when a lean time came, there would be plenty. In doing so, in being wise enough to save and in you know, it was God-given wisdom for Joseph, been wise enough to save. Not only did he rise to second in command of all Egypt through that wisdom, but he saved millions of lives. Millions of people, not just in Egypt, but in the surrounding countries, would have died had Joseph not set aside. Now, I'm willing to believe that if they hadn't chosen to do that, Egypt probably could have eaten all that grain in the first seven years. It seems, you know, when I say for lunch, that there's always enough. And, but the, 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 the flip side of that story is sometimes it seems like there's so much food today, but somehow it all seems to go. We seem to have this capacity to grow our consumption to the level of provision. Egypt could have eaten all that grain. I'm willing to believe that. But Joseph's leadership, they chose to set aside, to limit their consumption so that there was some set aside for the years of lack. The wise store up choice food and olive oil and a whole bunch of other things, 
But fools gulp down straight away. Gulp theirs down. And so we honour the Lord in the way that we save. Saving relieves anxiety. Saving empowers our calling. Saving empowered Joseph's calling to lead Egypt for that season under Pharaoh. Saving sets aside money so that if God calls us into a new vision, there's something to begin with. Saving empowers our calling. Saving prepares us for the storms of life. Saving prepares us for the seven years of lack. It prepares us for losing our job. It it prepares us for times when there's not going to be as much. And saving enables generosity. It enables us to have something from which to give beyond our regular offering. So we've talked about how much we should earn. We've talked about how much we should give. Well, then how much should I save? And I I want to be honest, the Bible doesn't give us a percentage figure and we need to seek wisdom around how much we should save from God. But but financial advisors would say we should seek to save about 10% of our income. We should give 10%. Financial advisors won't tell you that. We should aim, as followers of Jesus, to give 10% and to save about 10%. Aim to save 10%. But but just as our giving, I want to encourage you this morning to, to start somewhere, start saving something. There's some people here who are thinking, I don't have any reserves with which to save. I'm living off 110% of what I have. I can't save anything. And so if that's you this morning, I I want to encourage you to get a jar or a coffee tin. Don't go out and spend money on a fancy money box. To get something and just start putting a dollar in it every week. Commit to doing that every week. Put a dollar in it and do not touch that money for a year. And if, if you do have a bit extra, maybe put a little bit extra in and, and, and if you can grow beyond a dollar. But if you're not saving anything and you think it's impossible for you, I want to encourage you to start with a dollar a week this morning. Let this be the week that you save your first dollar. Because I believe that, that the, even, even as that grows to $10 and $15, that there's just going to be a level of peace in your life that comes through saving a level of freedom that comes through even that limited amount of saving that you're going to want to save more. That you're want to, going to want to grow. But if you're not in that place where it just seems impossible to save but you just haven't been doing it, I want to encourage you to, to do what's necessary in your life just to start putting aside money somewhere else, whether that's a bank account or a pillow or I'll let you decide the mechanics of that. But, but start honouring the Lord in saving. Start honouring the Lord with wisdom to save. Honour the Lord in your earning, honour the Lord in your giving, honour the Lord in your saving and honour the Lord in the way that you own. Honour the Lord in the way that you own. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 to 20, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our attitude towards ownership and possessions in this life is not to be one of storing up treasures for me, of hoarding possessions and, and owning things so that we own stuff in this world. That's not to be our attitude when it comes to possessions, but Jesus also says, as we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 25, again, it will be like, and it is the time that we live in, this season of between Jesus' first coming and his coming again, will be like a man, that's Jesus, going on a journey, that's him ascending to heaven, who called his servants, that's us, and entrusted his wealth to them. And so... We shouldn't have this attitude where, where towards possessions where we're just trying to get more and own more and own more and, and like the world accumulate debt so that we can just own more and more and bigger and better and faster and shinier. We're called to own as trustees of God's wealth. We've been entrusted by Jesus with his wealth. 
And so a trustee is appointed to administer the affairs of another. In our owning, that's the attitude we're called to have, is, is that in the things that I own and seek to own, I'm not hoarding them up, I'm not collecting treasures for me, I'm acting as a trustee of God. A trustee is one who... Trustee is one who holds the title to property for the benefit of another. Trustee is one who holds the title of a property for the benefit of another. If you own a home and if you go to the bank, because most of us, our deeds are in the bank because they own more of it than us, but uh, if you own a home, then it's not God's name on the deed, it's in your name. But your name's on the deed for the benefit of another and that, that other is Jesus Christ. And so our attitude towards owning isn't hoarding, it's, it's serving as a trustee. And, and the thing about trustees is they have responsibilities more than they have rights. A trustee of someone else's property has a responsibility to it, not a right to it. They have a responsibility to manage and maximize the wealth in their care wisely. So if... Put God aside from the picture for a moment. If you are entrusted to manage the investment portfolio of a wealthy person, your responsibility is to manage it wisely and to not accumulate bad debt just so that there's more things on the ticket, but to, to, but to manage that in a way that makes the best use of that resources for their purposes. And so you have a responsibility to manage and I believe maximize the wealth in your care wisely. A trustee of God's wealth will only own what God leads them to own and what is consistent with kingdom values. To put it bluntly, we're not called to maximize the wealth that we've been entrusted with through owning brothels. There's, there's things that we should not own as followers of Jesus, but we should own things that God leads us to own. Uh, if we're trustees of God's wealth, then we're not called to accumulate excessive debt in order to own more. We're not called to simply try and keep up with the Joneses because that's what the Joneses have. The Joneses have six bedrooms and so I'm going to take out another loan so my house can have six bedrooms even though I've only got five family members and uh, at least two of us share a bedroom. We're not called to accumulate debt, but, but a, a wise trustee will use debt, will use lending with wisdom. To grow the portfolio in a sense of what they're managing. If we're trustees of God's possessions, then we should not feel guilty about ownership. We shouldn't feel guilty about having a car or a house. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't feel... Um, Less than if we don't own those things, but we shouldn't feel guilty about owning them either. And so the question is, if we're trustees of God's wealth, then how much should I own? Perhaps an easier question to answer for me, at least, I can't answer the question of how much should I own, but, but what I, I'll seek to answer this morning is how much should I spend on owning? How much of what's coming in should be channeled towards owning? And, and if we narrow that down to the biggest ticket item that most of us will ever own, or, and I want to include renting in this space, of, is a home. How much should we spend on that? Well, Mark Chappell, who I said I, I got a lot of this, um, these numbers at least from, but also financial advisors, suggest that you shouldn't spend 40, more than 40% of your income on housing and shelter. On, on, on a mortgage or on renting, if that's the space that you're in at the moment, on, on all the bills that encompass your house, you should try and keep that under 40%. And here's the reason, uh, I debated giving numbers this morning, but here's the reason I'm giving a number. In our culture, this is the thing that blows out, that eats up saving, that eats up giving, that leads us to earn more and more and more to go into that cultural desire of greed. Because that 
spending on owning or renting a home grows way beyond 40%. And the thing, if it goes beyond that, if it stretches beyond 40%, then it needs to eat up what we're going to talk about next is our living expenses. We need to put those planks of giving and saving in first and lock them in. And so I want to suggest this morning, and as I said, you can take and leave my numbers. Um, I'm not a financial advisor, but financial advisors would suggest that you don't spend more than 40% on your owning to leave space for other things. And finally, we honour the Lord in our spending. Honour the Lord in the way that you spend. And so we're going to be faithful to God. We're going to be faithful to the Lord with our finances and our money and possessions. We're going to honour Him. And then what we embrace in our spending is simplicity. We spend simply. But Ecclesiastes 3.12-13 to says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And so biblically, it's not wrong to spend a portion of what you earn on your enjoyment, on your lifestyle. It's not wrong. In fact, it's, it's a great gift from God that we're called to enjoy His creation. The thing is, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, it's not the first priority, it's the last priority. It's, it's part of the whole shape of the kingdom that we don't put me first, we put me last. But we don't ignore me. God loves me. God wants to bless me. And so there's nothing better, Solomon, who, who wrote Ecclesiastes says, nothing better than finding satisfaction in the fruit of your toil, in enjoying the fruit of your labours. I want to suggest this morning that there's nothing better than finding satisfaction in that, even more so when your financial house is in order. When you've given, when you've saved, when you're spending on owning or renting in an appropriate manner and then you can enjoy what's left. Hebrews 13 chapter 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and I want to want to kind of suggest that that means more than just coins or dollars or bank balance. It includes our wealth and possessions. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we embrace simplicity and we seek God for wisdom around what do I actually need? What does God actually desire for me? And what is the world simply telling me I should have? We don't spend, and I've already used this phrase, but we don't spend to keep up with the Joneses. We spend simply and wisely so that we might enjoy what God has blessed us with. And so how much should we spend? Well, if we've given 10, if we've saved 10, if we're spending 10 on housing and shelter, on, on that fundamental uh, kind of need... Then that leaves how much? Who's good at maths? 40%. I said 10, 10, 10, didn't I? 10, 10, 40. Then it leaves 40%. And so the beauty, if you, if, you, if you embrace this idea of giving 10, saving 10, trying to keep your housing under 40, then all you really need to think about is what you spend this last 40 on. That's all you have to worry about managing. Your giving's happening... You've got money been saved away for seven years of famine in Egypt. Your housing sorted and you've got 40% left to live your life on. But I don't want us to get lost in the numbers. I wanted to give some numbers. I wanted to give some, some markers to anchor us on. But here is the point of this morning. Here's what I want us to anchor on this morning. The kingdom priorities of managing our money and possessions that we earn with integrity and contentment. That's our first priority. We, we start with where our money comes from. We give sacrificially. If you're not giving anything, start with something. If you're giving something, seek to grow. We save wisely. If you're not saving anything, then the same thing. Start with something and seek to grow. 
We own not to hoard possessions, not to store up treasures, but we own as trustees. We see ourselves essentially managing a portion of God's portfolio on earth. It's His, not ours. We have responsibilities, not rights. And we seek to spend simply. And so what I want to do this morning is, um, as the band begins to pray, uh, play and pray, um, I want to pray for all of us, but I want to pray especially uh, for anyone that's just, as I've been talking about money and possessions this morning and, and, and been trying to offer some suggestions in the space of numbers, and, but, but hopefully you're hearing more the heart of that than, than any legalistic figures or anything like that. But some of us have been just went, oh, Money and possessions, wealth, finances, my life in that space is just a mess. I want to pray especially uh, for for anyone in that space this morning, just for breakthrough. It's not God's heart that we would live uh, in struggle street, in a sense, live in anxiety when it comes to finances. It's God's heart that we would be free. And that includes freedom and finances. And, and if that is you and you've got no resources around that, come and speak to me because there's some resources we can offer you in that space. Um, but what I want to offer this morning is simply just to pray. Um, I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front for that. I don't want you to feel any guilt or shame about uh, feeling anxiety in your finances. But if it's you this morning, as I pray, I just want you to offer your amen and your yes, please, to God. And so pray with me this morning. Father, we have been blessed by you. I acknowledge this morning before you, Lord, simply by living in this country, we are more blessed than most people on this earth. And so, Father, with what you've given us, what you've entrusted to us with our money and possessions this morning, we pray that we would be given the grace to be faithful to you with it that we be faithful to you in our earning, in our giving, in our saving, in our owning, in our spending. And so, Father, this morning I especially want to pray for those who just feel like their financial world is a mess, that they're filled with anxiety, that they're filled with a sense of lack of never being or having enough, Lord. I just pray for breakthrough over their lives. I pray for provision as they step out in faith with, with stepping forward with giving. I just pray that you would open the storehouses of heaven that you would pour down provision on them. I pray that you give them grace to manage what they do have faithfully so that you might entrust them with more. And above all else, Lord, pardon me, above all else, I pray for peace that goes beyond the financial situation, peace that is beyond understanding in the space of our finances. In Jesus' almighty name, I pray. Amen. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Aspectus family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.